My name is James Shepard, and I would just like to wish you a Merry Christmas from our official sponsor, InstantQuoteTool.com. Hope you have a great holiday with your family and friends. Hey folks, this is Patty here, and I'm with James, and uh, James has some predictions for 2019. I do. I'm ready to prognosticate today. Okay, James, give us a give us your number one prognostication. My number one prognostication for 2019 is that cash discounting will survive. Okay, let's I, be- I believe that this time next year we will be doing the podcast, and we will still be talking about cash discounting. Merchants will still be signing up for it. In a major way, I don't think it's going to be fringe. I think it's still going to be mainstream in a year. Uh, so just just out of curiosity, I mean, you yeah. know, we I think we've talked about this before. Probably somewhere between 10 and 15 percent of merchants these days or, you know, right are, now. Right. What would you say it would be in another year? You think it's going to still track I, that or you think it's going to I think it's more? cool. I think that double the number of merchants who are currently when I say that double the number of like retail restaurant right. bar. Right. Like, you mm-hmm. know, not not like fuel stations that are already doing it. But sure. those segments that are just kind of in the last few years are becoming aware of this. Mm-hmm. I believe du- we're, we're going to see a doubling this year of merchants that are on the cash discount. OK, that's interesting. Let's so see. we'll see, you know, and it's funny because I think I was telling you, uh, I've gotten emails from agents left and right. And, uh, you know, two fairly well-known companies have officially ended their cash discount program. Right. Um, and so, you know, this is one of those predictions that I really believe it's going to come to pass, but I could be wrong. Um, and it could get wiped out between Visa and the acquirers. But so far, it just to me doesn't seem like it's got the steam. I think it doesn't. Have, I don't think that Visa got the steam out of their bulletin that they wanted. I, I have to agree with you there. I think there's you know, it's going to come back and bite them. I, I personally think that. Yeah. But I'm, I'm curious about, you know, do you think that the companies that have backed down, it's just that they're super cautious or, you know, I think it's that. You know, they're super cautious, and I think it's more that those companies never liked cash discounting in the first uh, place. That's what I was wondering, yeah. I think they looked at the bulletin as like, oh, great, we finally have an excuse to kill this program that we don't like. Yeah. But, you know, what I'll be interested to see is, you know, is it going to be the same as with Clover? You know, they, they killed their cash discounting apps because those aren't compliant until a week later when they reinstated them. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, they, these companies may be underestimating. I mean, I can't tell you how many emails I got from agents of those companies that said, well, here we go, James. Here's the email for my company. So who should I sell for now? Mm-hmm. Whoops. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And these are top agents. Right. So, you know, I think that they may be, you know, they may be dramatically underestimating how important being able to offer cash discounting is going to be to agents uh, and small ISOs over the next 12 months. Yeah. You know, they that's like a requirement. You've got to be able to offer that. If you can't offer that, they're going to be looking elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And if they look elsewhere for cash discounting, don't trick yourself into thinking that, oh, they're just going to switch for cash discounting. Right. No, they're no. going to switch for everything. Right. And sure. they're going to find a new provider. So that's my top prediction. It's a risky one because I, you know, I, I like my, my good track record on my predictions. But uh-huh. this one could cost me. But I'm, I'm willing to stake my, uh, my predicting abilities on it. And I think it's going to happen. Okay. What about number two? Number two, and this one may be even more risky than the first one, but I just think it's going to happen this year. I believe that one large retailer will implement surcharging. Uh, You know what? I don't think that's so risky. I would not be surprised to see that. So, you know, the biggest barrier to this one, of course, is that surcharging is still not... Com- you know, I don't know how you, depending on how you want to phrase it, it's not completely legal or whatever. In ten states, four of them now have had the successful challenge. The four big ones: right. Texas, New York, Florida, and California. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's still six states left, as we were talking about earlier. Right. And that's a pretty big impediment for like a Home Depot or JCPenney that I think would implement. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that 2018 is the year where 
somebody is going to try that. Well, you know, and also you have to think. I mean, there are big retailers that are more regionally oriented, right? Uh, sure. Like some of the big grocery store chains. Exactly. You see them much more, you know, like there's certain chains. Right. Uh, Safeway is very big out west. Right. 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 Publix is very big in the southwest. Sure. I could see one of one those, of those doing, it. doing it. Yeah, and I think, obviously, you know, the big barrier here is, of course, Visa is going to be fighting it all the way. So they're going to be reaching out saying, hey, let's negotiate your interchange rate so you don't need to do this. Because right? they, they know that when <laughs> they know there's a lot of dominoes that are going to fall once a big major you know, retailer right. does this. Right. But, you know, I mean, let's, let's think about it. I mean, in terms of uh, the Walmarts of the world, uh, you know, they sure. already have the lowest rates out there anyway. Right. So I, that's why I would think it would n- may, maybe not be one of the really big national ones, but one of the big more regionally. More oriented. regional, right. And, and maybe it's even a regional company from a national holding company that's right. got five different kind of brands five that they brands, run. Five and maybe they're just going to run it in on the one, one brand, sure. right? I mean, what right. was that story a couple months back with Kroger? Right, exactly. It was only the Kroger stores in California. Exactly. It's like three or four stores, but they got they like we're not accepting Visa or something. Right. You know. But it was just you know, enough so. to make Visa have to exactly. stand up and take notice. Exactly. And so, you know, I think this will be the year where again I don't I don't see it as, you know, this is the avalanche year. Um I'm hoping I can make that prediction in twenty twenty because uh hopefully, you know, these other states mm-hmm. will have successful challenges. Right. Um and so hopefully, you know, that'll be the case. But I think this next year is the year where we're gonna see at least one company pioneer this and they're gonna try it out. And that's going to give a lot of air cover to smaller retailers and restaurants that want to implement. Oh, I think you're right there. And and then the other thing you have to remember, too, is about these legal challenges. You know, it takes takes years it for does. these things to work their ways through it the does. court. But, you know, the probably the, the biggest challenges are the New York and, right. and the California one. Oh, right. Right. I right. mean, those are like some of the largest states with the largest bases of right. merchants. And I feel like you could already – I mean, if I was a mega retailer – I don't know. It'd be a tough call to implement surcharging in New York or California right now because, I mean, technically it's not totally legal yet, sort of. But nobody's really enforcing it. But would you want to be the one that they decide is going to be the test case? Exactly. So I don't know. know, I think that's tough. But, like, and that's a good example. I actually really do think that in the next 12 months, I think both New York and California, I think those will both be clarified. The court, you know, it's already the court decision's already been made. It's just that the enforcement and the regulation and stuff hasn't been fully adjusted. And right. I think we'll see that over the next twelve months. And and you know, I, I one of the things that's interesting about New York is, you know, there's there's been a lot of talk because that was the one that went to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court sent it back down to the lower court. Right. There's a lot of attitude there that right. you know what we we're not going to be able to sure. make this thing work. You know, sure. it's going to be, you know, it's still going to be challenged, even though the the lower court has to reconsider it. Right. You know, it's still going to be it's it's still going to be a contentious case. Yeah. So my first two predictions are really kind of both revolving around passing the cost of payments on to consumers. Um, you know, cash discounting is going to survive, I think. And then, you know, seeing that surcharging really. T- I don't see cash discounting taking a hold in a big retailer. No, uh, they don't no. look at it as mainstream enough. No. Uh, but I think we'll definitely see surcharging take a take a hold there. OK, so what's number three, James? So my third prediction is not quite as specific as I would like, uh, but but this is the general one. So I believe that 2018 or 2019. Wow. Excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That happened fast. Huh? Didn't uh, <laughs> 2019 will be the year that our industry, the payments industry as a whole, will switch from defense to offense. The question is, I'll explain. 
The question is, in my mind, will agents and ISOs make the shift? Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that is I really feel like the last uh, at least two years, three years, something like that, I feel like our whole our our kind of section of the industry, right? Acquirers, and, right? You know, I feel like we've been playing defense to Square, Stripe, PayPal, sure. Braintree, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, and we've been, you know, we've had this strategy where it's almost like everybody's goal. When I talk to the ISOs, are like the, the larger ISOs are like, I hope we can sell enough accounts this year to offset our attrition. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and it's like, well, what's your attrition? You know, twenty four percent. You know, it's like, Ooh. oh, you know what I mean? Ouch. And so. You know, this isn't. That's not a. That is not a long-term strategy. No. That's defense. Right. We're trying gotcha. to survive, and and you know, I think this is the year where hopefully, acquire, maybe this will be a self-fulfilling prophecy. People will listen to this and maybe wake up. Mm-hmm. But hopefully, this is the year where some people in the industry say, you know what? Wait a second. You know, we're not trying to survive against Square and Stripe. We're trying to beat them. Right. We want to win. Right. So we're going to attack. And I'm starting to hear that. I listened to actually a podcast, uh, The Transact, I think, has a podcast. Uh-huh. And they interviewed, uh, I can't remember his name all of a sudden, but uh, you know, they interviewed the CEO of, uh, of WorldPay. Okay. Uh, Vantive, you know, everything. Right. So they were talking about um, you know, uh, ISVs mm-hmm. and how important they look at this vertical of technology and things. And so it's like, I feel like at the top level, this is the year where I think all the acquirers are, they have their strategy now, the big companies, right. your first datas, right? Mm-hmm. And they're saying, you know, okay, we're ready to go. You look at first data with, uh, with Clover, Right. Right. Um, you look at other, you know, companies that have amazing, you know, technology that they're and so at the top levels, I feel like they're ready to go after the ISVs. They're ready to go after sure. the e commerce. Oh yeah. The segments that are growing, mm-hmm. that are not shrinking. And so, you know, the the big unknown and what I'm really watching for this year is while while I believe the industry will make that shift, what I think I'm hearing from executives at the top levels is, will the feet on the street Will that model make the shift, or is it on the road to extinction? Ah, well, you know, that's a very interesting point, because that question come, comes up a lot every few years. It does. Every, every time there's a little bit of a change in the model, right? Exactly. Right? And Are I personally don't think the feed on the street will ever be extinct. I don't either. I don't either. Well, and, and well, we know, that, we know that, that they won't be extinct in, in terms of there's always something to sell to business owners. Right, right. The question is, you know, the question really is, Will the payment processing industry get to a point where it, agents and ISOs aren't making that shift right. to just selling traditional you know, kind of payment processing? Is there going to be those? And a lot of it depends on the companies, too, rolling out reseller programs that make sense. Right. You have sure. to have a program where, I mean, it's getting hard. It's getting not harder. It's just getting more complicated because you're selling technology. You're selling these different things. Right. And so are these companies recognizing the value of the feed on the street? And are they going to make reseller programs and training? And these, you know, our industry has been able to get away for years with basically doing no training, no training at all, right? Right. And you know, so to me, it's things like that where I'm like, okay, this is the year where I feel like we're going to see this time next year, we're going to see, uh, you know, most of the resources and attention and all that is going to be focused on ISVs, e-commerce, you know, uh, developer integration, mm-hmm. um, you know, online stores, uh, point of sale systems, right. all of these these things that are the, that are clearly the future. That shift, I think, is going to be this year. I think is when we're going to see that huge. That shift is going to be 
I think you're going to see a bigger change in the next 12 months than you saw in the last 36 months mm-hmm. in that area. The question is, are the agents and ISOs going to adjust with it? Are they going to start leveraging Facebook marketing? Are they going to start leveraging really good CRM systems? Or are they going to just still be out there with their legal pad and pencil trying to sell a VX520? And isn't that really what uh, what we're trying to do here? It really is. is you you know? Know, we're trying to give you the tools so that you can right. be a more offensive and that you can yes. be more of a consultant instead of just going out and sent and selling on basis points yeah but you know i think it's really important too for those that are listening that are the small iso or the agent right now i mean you need to understand that these conversations are happening at the higher levels in the industry i mean i've been in the room right these conversations are happening do does feed in the street does that have a future for our business do we want to continue that model mm-hmm. um you know are are these people are they ready to make the shift with new technology are they ready to embrace this right. change or is this just a dying you know we're just oh, we will keep paying the straight commission out for a while and see what happens and and see if see if it just dies its way. But I think you know you yeah. have a lot of new young blood coming into you the do. business. Absolutely. And I think that you know they're more, much more accustomed to working with uh, new models or creating their own models. Yep. So I think you know for me, I mean, my prediction is that you know I guess it's funny. It's kind of a half prediction. My prediction is that the industry is going to make the switch to offense. And then the other prediction is that I think there's maybe a 75% chance. <laughs> See, I have to hedge on this one. Right. That this is going to be the year that ISOs and agents, and I'm talking about the top agents here, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. here's what's happening. There's still feet on the street selling technology for companies, but most of them are, you know, they're being paid a salary or they're an employee right. or they're being trained in some way. But as far as when I talk to top reps that are doing 10, 15, 20 deals a month and they're building a big portfolio, they're still out there just selling kind of normal stuff a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're you know VX five twenties and things and they're they're really not embracing some of these newer things. Right. Um and maybe they're looking at cash discounting as a way to prolong being able to sell regular. Mm-hmm. But the problem is no matter w- how you set up the cash discount or whatever, you know, retail merchants want point of sale systems now. Yes, they do. You know, um restaurants want point of sale systems. Yes, they restaurants do. want online ordering. Mm-hmm. Retail stores want to sell stuff online to go against Amazon. Right. Um, you know, software companies are looking for a smooth integration with the payment provider. Mm-hmm. So these things are happening. You're not gonna stop these things from happening and they're gonna get more and more prevalent in the marketplace. And the question is, are you ready to adjust um, and you know, ready to you know, put in the extra hours to learn what you need to learn and to upgrade your skills, or are you going to become obsolete? Is this going to be the year that you finally become obsolete because right. you're not willing to adjust? Because you really have to. You know, I, I, I've often said this about people like us who work for ourselves or you know, right. independent. You have to constantly reinvent yourself. You do. If you're not reinventing yourself, you'll become obsolete. Yeah, things just you know are changing so rapidly. Too too much <laughs> right so so there you go there's my three predictions uh for 2019 we'll see what happens well i'll come back in another year and we'll see absolutely okay. thanks everybody this is the insiders report with patty murphy brought to you by greensheet.com a premier resource for the electronic payments industry the green sheet has been on the beat since 1983 always focused on boosting the feet on the street in our evolving sphere Well, now that I've shared my three predictions for the year ahead, let's take it over to Patty to talk about the year that we just had. Okay, the year that was. Now that most are closing the books on 2018 and ISOs and agents look to their 2019 game plans, it's worthwhile looking at the trends we witnessed this year with an eye to to, to 2019. Sure. Okay, so first, let's address the the perennial elephant in the room, pricing. You know, merchants by their nature are price sensitive, and this is manifested in several ways. 
there have been lawsuits, including the infamous Walmart challenge, right? Uh, that resulted in Visa and Mastercard agreeing to pay merchants six point two billion dollars to settle challenge to interchange pricing. Uh, that that settlement was announced this year. Um, there has been legislation addressing merchant pricing, namely the Durbin Amendment to the Dodd-Frank Act, which ushered in federal regulation of debit interchange fees. And there has been innovation, such as the emergence of cash discounting and decoupled debit. Right. Now, decoupled debit, for those who are unfamiliar, is a debit card that's issued by a retailer or another non-bank. Uh, card holders auth- authorize the issuers to initiate debits to their DDAs using the automated clearinghouse system or ACH. Now, the ACH is a bank-to-bank network that clears and settles through the Federal Reserve. And at about a quarter to 50 cents a transaction, these payments are significantly cheaper than card payments. Right. The most obvious example of a decoupled debit card is the Target Red Card. A recent report by Bloomberg, however, notes that several other retailing giants, including Walmart and Starbucks, are look, looking to marry a decoupled debit option with their mobile loyalty programs. And that article notes that Cumberland Farms, a regional convenience store chain headquartered in Massachusetts, is offering a $0.10 cent per gallon discount to gas customers who pay using the chain's SmartPay mobile app. Hmm. Wow. Interesting. That's a pretty huh? significant That's discount. That's a really there. significant discount. That's a lot cheaper than uh, paying you know, cash you know, the cash cash discount right. for, for Absolutely. gas stations. Absolutely. Now, I'm not suggesting decoupled debit will ever eclipse traditional credit and debit card usage. I mean, for every decoupled debit success story like Target or Cumberland Farms, there are failed attempts like Currency. That was the mobile payment network built by a consortium of merchants that never got off the ground. But it shows that merchants are open to products and services that reduce their payment acceptance costs. Cash discounting responds to this demand. Now, we've talked a lot about cash discounting on these podcasts, and I've heard from numerous ISOs and agents who attest that these programs are cash cows. But few trends in merchant services have long shelf lives, and most experts I've talked with are convinced this trend will be short-lived. As Steve Norell, director of sales um, at U.S. Merchant Services, wrote in a recent green sheet column, quote, it's just a matter of time before Visa and MasterCard become vicious about enforcing the rules, or some shopper who happens to be the grandmother of a U.S. congressman or senator makes a fuss. <laughs> that's a, it's funny you know, how things really happen, isn't it? Yeah. That's so true. But it's so true. It's so true. That, it's, that's, that really is how things actually happen. That really happen. is how it happens. Yeah, that's funny. So in its place, you know, we're probably going to see more surcharging programs emerge. And, you know, James and I just talked about that a, a moment ago. Right. Um, and, of course, what keeps surcharging from taking off now are the laws in 10 states and Puerto Rico that prohibit the practice. But as we noted, those laws in four of those states, California, Florida, New York, and Texas, have been successfully challenged in federal courts. Uh, th- these courts have all ruled that the laws infringe upon merchants' First Amendment rights to free speech in that they allow discounting for cash but not surcharging credit cards. I think it's only a matter of time before the Supreme Court is asked to make a final determination, and, a ru- and the ruling it made last year in the New York law suggests that it's probably going to come down on the side of surcharging. Right, definitely. Um, now, next up, uh, merchants want biometrics and pins to combat fraud. Hmm. Uh, while pricing remains... 
uh, pricing concerns um, persist. A report released in November by the National Retail Federation identifies card fraud as the number one concern facing merchants today. Hmm. Yeah. Among merchants surveyed by NRF and, and Forrester Research, 55% identified fraud as their number one payment-related challenge, ahead of cost of acceptance, which was cited by 45%. Fraud concerns are high despite, or perhaps because of, the migration to EMV security which NRF has reported is now being used by a majority of merchants, 81% of small retailers, 99% of midsize and larger merchants, by its reckoning. Personally, I think that number's a little optimistic. Yeah, sounds a little optimistic. Yeah. Um, In a quote, in a post-EMV world, fraud is shifting from in-person to e-commerce channels, so retailers have been busy bolstering their defenses to mitigate, mitigate the increasing costs and risks of e-commerce fraud, the report stated. Yeah. To help better combat fraud, the NRF Forrester report said retailers want better cardholder authentication procedures for both in-person and card-not-present transactions. 51% of those surveyed said biometrics would be the best way to verify transactions. 53% expressed interest in implementing specific biometric technologies, such as fingerprint and facial recognition. Right, just like you have on your phone. Right. I mean, it stands to reason. You sure. Know? I mean, it's so universal anymore. Right, right. You know? Once, you know, I mean, and it kind of got me to thinking, because, you know, once the stuff of science fiction, biometrics-based authentication has become a reality in payments today. Right. Particularly thanks to the pays, you know, uh, Apple okay. Pay, Samsung Pay, Google, Google Pay. Pay. Sure. You know, and recently MasterCard announced that card issuers must support biometric authentication for card-not-present transactions alongside PIN and password verification by no later than next than this April, hmm. and which is really or April 2019. 19, right, yeah. right. Um, yeah, I, I, and I, I find that really interesting. I mean, the, the new requirement, it also applies to in-person payments using mobile devices. So clearly they're trying to bank on that trend. Right, right. But it's the thing that's interesting to me, though, is I wonder what percentage of con- American consumers have a phone with biometrics. Uh, I don't. Right. Like, I don't you know, think it's like, I don't it's think not it's 60%. Gonna, no. It's like 12%. Probably. You, you know, know because I mean? basically it's the it's the later model Apple, Samsung, right. et cetera, right? Right, right, right. And I don't believe Apple Apple brought that out until like their Apple eight, you know, their right. iPhone eight, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, because I have the eight plus, and when I had the six, uh, and I had the seven, and I don't think the seven had it. So yeah, I think it was the eight, eight plus, and the ten, and the uh, ten, and the ten, and I believe right. it was the same with the Samsung. So I mean, that really, right? You it's, know, that's pretty limited. That's pretty limited, and and you know the. Most of the uh, references in B- MasterCard's announcement were to the the European Union because you know all of course the, all the security stuff. Sure. So I'm wondering how much they're going to really press on that sure. in the U.S. I think they kind of like just threw it out there, right? Get people thinking about it. Get and people thinking yeah. about it. And, and it's like if if you know if EMV is taking this long to catch on. I mean, I wonder what's going to be biometrics. You right. Know, I mean, take a little while. That was the other <laughs> thing that occurred to me. It's like, right. man, it took you forever to do. E- um, EMV, and right. I, you know, I've recently had some people say to me, you know, the the U.S. payment system is so backwards. It took them forever to get EMV, and I'm like, but wait a minute. First of all, 
We're huge. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Making change. It's just like a small company versus a big company. Right. When you're a small company, you can make changes on a dime. Right. When you've got a thousand employees, you gotta be careful about making right. changes. It's a lot harder to implement. Yeah, you have, you know, twelve thousand financial institutions with right. two hundred and fifty million customers. It's gonna right. take a little time. Right. You know? Um but merchant interest in pin authentication is also strong and I think sure. that's much more realistic for of our course. market, you know. Right. Among those surveyed by NRF and Forrester, 95% said they believe requiring PINs would improve the security of card transactions, and 92% said they would implement PIN authentication if it were available. Yeah, which would make sense. They already have a PIN pad mostly. They already, most of them already do. Sure. You know, so. That's a technology we're familiar with in the U.S. Exactly. Much more so than, than even EMV. Right. Right? Right. You know, and that's the thing. While EMV chips make it difficult to counterfeit credit and debit cards, it does little to stop criminals from using stolen cards. Sure. Uh, as uh, Stephanie March, NRF's general counsel, complained, this coupled with uh, the major card brands dropping signature requirements on card present transactions renders merchants far more vulnerable than ever before to fraudsters. You know, it's funny. I actually had a weird experience with that. I just had uh, I was doing some Christmas shopping at uh, Penny's, uh-huh. and um, I bought something. I guess I better not say what it was because my mother-in-law right. was here. But anyway, we bought something for my mother-in-law, and um, you know, it was an item that was you know fairly expensive. And um, when I went and used my card, um, uh, it didn't ask me for a signature. Really? And on the receipt, it actually had a little, like, a notice at the bottom of the receipt that said, like, I wish I would have brought it, but it said, like, something about due to card brand rules or whatever, you accept this transaction without signature. Like, it actually said something about Interesting. that. Interesting. I haven't seen that Yeah, before. and I hadn't either. So that was kind of a new thing. Um, but, yeah, I see, because I, and it was funny, it was on my mind, because I know we'd been talking about that. Right. So. And it was, it's interesting, you know, I have a similar story, but I was just buying something, yeah, I don't even remember what it was. Right. You know, right. something at, at, a, at a convenience store not long ago. And it was like maybe a $9 ticket. And so I went to walk right. away, and they're like, no, you have to sign. Right. And I thought, you know, right. for a $9 purchase, that's really – but right. for a large dollar purchase, I wouldn't see and a I problem mean, with still asking somebody for a signature. Sure. and I, But, I mean, I guess the funny thing to me is I don't even know. I mean, how much does that really matter? I mean, if you I get know. a chargeback right. – I right. mean, number one, is the merchant even keeping this thing somewhere right. where they can get to it? Right. Maybe it's in a, throwing it in a box or something. Sure. Um, you know, and so, I mean, it's probably going to cost more than $9 worth of time for them to even find the receipt and submit it to the right. proper channels. Right? right, right. And even then, I mean, you know, if I had if I stole someone's card, I mean, the cards, their name is on the card. Right. I can just sign their name. That's I all mean, you have to do. I mean, I mean, you know? how many people actually – I mean, I do see a few people – meticulously sign their names but most right. of us just scribble something, scribble out. something out right so you know yeah. i remember giving my card to a friend not long ago you know who was going to go get something at the store and he's like i can't use your card i'm like yeah you can i said just scribble a, right. a thing no one's gonna care nobody's gonna look you know no, my wife and i use each other's cards all the time and we sign our own name right and they th that's the funny thing is yeah they have you sign your name i've never had anybody so like i've used my wife so christina shepherd right i've never had anybody look at my signature and say oh you signed that as james yeah right no they just like sign this and then they put right. it in their little shoe box or whatever it is and or whatever know. they do with it right. yeah so well here's the quote from um uh, Marts at nmf nrf quote if we want to stop card fraud we need a better way of authenticating users and it should be one that's affordable easy and safe yeah that makes sense it makes perfect sense now before we wrap up i wanted to uh do a quick update on data security you know, and, and I don't think this comes as any surprise, but, you know, but data breaches continue to dominate the headlines. 
the most recent uh, massive breach being um, the personal information, including credit card information, on up to half a billion customers of the giant hotel chain Marriott. Now, take a minute to let that sink in. Records on half a billion customers. That's that's insane. That's insane. I mean, how long could that have gone on, right. and why wasn't it? That's probably like a third of all, all cardholders in the world. Or that's something what like I that, was thinking, because, I mean, you know, here in the U.S., <laughs> it's probably about 200 million. Right. Right? Right. So 500 million. That's just That's a like all of the U.S., all of Europe, Europe the EU, you know. You know, all of South America. Right. I mean, maybe not. Let's take China out of the mix. Right, because, you right, know, right, right. But you take China out of the mix, and it probably That's is. That's about it. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, so the breach was uh, revealed in late, late November, triggered an outcry from lawmakers and calls for legislative remedies. Uh, among those was uh, Senator Ron Wyden, a uh, Democrat of Oregon, who announced he would introduce legislation in January that mirrors closely the EU's strict requirements around data security. He wants uh, government fines for companies that fall short on securing customer data and even uh, the possibility of jail time for executives who breach companies. Now, of course, mm. that's very drastic. But right, right. but I think what it shows is that, you know, and it is, you know he's a senator, okay, so the right. Republicans still have the Senate, but the Democrats right. do have the House. Right. Um, there's a lot more momentum, I, yeah. and, and especially, I mean, you know, as we're recording this today, um, you know, we had the, the news about Facebook, uh, you know, sharing right. all that personal information. I think lawmakers are going to really – yeah, data is gold, and, right. and people need you know, that I, protected. I think it's interesting. I have a lot of conversations with our um, – you know, my business partner, Jack, our lead developer as well about this mm -hmm. kind of stuff. And, I mean, you know, what the EU implemented was um, – to say it was disruptive is, is a massive understatement. Oh, yeah. Um, and so I think, you know, from a lobbying perspective, I think that legislation is going to be potentially the most unpopular oh. legislation that could possibly be introduced. Now, having said that, most of the really big American companies are also doing business in the EU. Yes. So, so they already, already done, had to comply. They've already done the hard work. Right. So I think it's possible within a year. You know, what it really hurts, though, is it really does for small businesses. Like I was talking right. to, to Jack about, you know, what if that kind of thing was implemented and, you know, we have our instant quote tool, things like mm -hmm. that. Um, and you would think, oh, that's just the easiest thing. You know, like basically the requirement is at any point um, a customer can say, I don't want my data in your system anymore. Right. Well, you know, that sounds easy. But then what does that mean exactly? Mm -hmm. Their data, like every page they've ever visited that we record now. Right. Or every, you know, time they logged in, every prospect they created, every quote they created, their mm -hmm. pricing templates. What about records where there's a list of something where they're on that list, but other people are on the list, too? Yeah. And and so it really so starts you, to get tricky. How do you tricky. parse those lists and uh, yeah, to yeah. really to really wipe somebody out of a system that was in a system? It's almost impossible. It's isn't almost it? impo well. It is impossible with current you know technology that we have now that's that's already implemented. And so what has to happen and what these companies have to do is really go back and literally you know reprogram and you know actually like coding mm -hmm. and they had to go back in and just overhaul their systems to be able to do this. Uh, people think Y two K was a big uh, exactly. This yeah. is mu and and this, this would make Y two K like a, a cakewalk right well and, and the other thing too is that it's it's so disruptive it's so expensive and i think small business owners will have a very hard time complying with it mm -hmm. and i think that it also is very error prone meaning that you know does the benefit outweigh the negative implications because i think if they implement that you know as as a result of people trying to comply mm-hmm 
they're going back into systems that haven't been tampered with for seven or eight years. Right. And they're overhauling them. That's very error prone. Probably you're going to have more data breaches <clears throat> or, you know, whatever as a result just because of, you know. Uh, one you line know. of code. Exactly. That's all it takes is one exactly. mistake on one line of code. Yeah. Right? So I don't know. I'll be interested to see what happens with that. But that that's definitely a big deal for sure. Yeah. And and, and it's also, you know, to, just to touch back on, on PCI, which is sort of right. the right. omnibus, stu- uh, you know, rules right now. Sure. Um, I thought it was very interesting that in November, um, a uh, Verizon study um, pointed to a downward trend in compliance with PCI. Yeah. Uh, according to Verizon, and it, it's not like a huge change, but I, I just thought it was very you know, yeah. interesting in the current environment. Just 52.5% of businesses achieved full compliance with PCI in 2017, which was down from 55.4% the year before. Now, um, you know, Verizon found that among retailers, 56.3% were in full compliance. Among financial services firms, just 47.9% were fully compliant. Sure. So there's still a lot of work that needs to be done to ensure better security. But PCI, it's just such a joke anyway. It is, right? I mean, the thing about PCI that always gets me is you're in compliance with PCI until you're not. Right. And right. until something happens, yeah, you know, and how many how many companies you know went through their PCI evaluations, right? And then two months later, a breach is unearthed that was six months in the making, right? Exactly, right? And and then right. then everybody you know there's all hell to pay, and it's like, well, wait a minute, yeah, if they were in compliance, right? And I think I think small business owners in general look at PCI compliance as you know, just another way for processors to add a line item to the statement. That's which right. Is exactly what it is. Right. Companies like Square, I mean, I could be misspeaking here, but I mean, I've never heard Square even mention anything about PCI compliance. I don't even know if they ask their merchants to take a self-assessment questionnaire or do anything. Well, I mean, <laughs> I know. I mean, you know, so. I, I, because I'm in this business, I always go and sign up for things like this right. just to see how they work. Right. I never got anything I like that. I didn't either. I have a Square reader, same thing as you. I want to yeah. see how it worked, and I've right. never been notified. Uh, we use We use Stripe. Mm-hmm. I've never received anything from Stripe about PCI compliance. No, no. So. And, you know, one of the things they say is, oh, well, we'll take care of that for you. Well, how, how? can you? Right. How do you? There, there's so many things about operational procedures right. with dealing with data that there's no way you could take care of it. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it, there's an interesting story. I have a friend who runs a small web um, hosting business. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he called me one day and he said, um, I have this client that wants me to hold on to his credit card information, but I don't want to do it. Right. Right, because I don't want to, you know, and um, so I said, well, you know, I'm with you. <laughs> I wouldn't right. do that. I said, but I'll tell you what, I'll call a few people, right, and ask them what they, you know, right, people who are smarter than me, that've been doing this sure, longer than sure. me, what would they suggest? Do you know what the suggestion I got was? What? Tell them to take it and lock it in a filing cabinet. What on earth? Why? Right? Would, why would you do? So they want him to keep credit card information for what purpose? Like so that they can do. He can, you know build them for jobs and without them having to. Oh, oh. Well, and and so to me, that's such a no-brainer. If somebody wants you to do that, you go through something like at the NMI gateway. Right. You store the information in their secure vault. Right. They give you back a token, and then either programmatically or through the gateway, you can build them as many times as you want. Right. What in the world? I I was just, I I was floored when I got that. And I called my friend, and I'm saying, I said, I, you know, I got this advice from two different consultants. Right. And he's like, are you kidding me? Right. I'm that's not going to do that. <laughs> you know? Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, Goodness. but I mean, that's sort of how these people, yeah. a yeah. lot of people look at PCI. Oh, it's just a... It's a, just a money-making thing, and it's yeah. it's actually super important. 
right. when it's taken seriously. Right. Uh, hopefully it'll be pulled out of even the sphere of the ISOs more in the government or uh, you know, Visa MasterCard just directly dealing with merchants to take care of this, I think, is the solution there. Yeah, and, you know, just sort of since I know you did your predictions right. in the first half of this, right. but just to throw in a prediction, right. and I'm not sure this is necessarily going to happen this year, but right. I could see something like the Federal Trade Commission getting involved. Involved with PCI compliance and data. ISO. Absolutely. Yeah. That could be an interesting first, like, regulatory step. Right. You know, these all the, the senators are going to put pressure on. And, I mean, I think the Republicans and Democrats both are they all have very the concerned about the data sure. stuff, right? Everybody so should it's be. bipartisan, and right. I think uh, I think it'll be pressure. I don't think they're going to do this. You know, they're going to get this bill already, and then they're, all their donors are going to read it from the corporations right. that support them, and they're all going to say, no, you're not passing that. But I think they could put some regulatory pressure. But that's and, the whole you know, point is that if they do something, then maybe right. there can It'll be stir some— Stir the pot, something will happen. Right. So it right. be interesting to see how data security evolves in 2019 for sure. Yes, it will. So awesome. Well, thanks, everybody, so much. Uh, have a Merry Christmas. Have a great Christmas, and we'll see you next year. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production from greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. We hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.